your parents are here today, and uh, right? I was gonna make sure I'm right here. They, uh, um, we're really excited about Brandon being baptized today, and, and again, just remind you to come over to the Stauffer's house, one thirty. Is your mom gonna sing? She's still thinking about it. you. Talk to her. Okay, she's gonna sing for us too while we're there. So that's that's really exciting. Um, so Brandon was like, "Now nah, she can throw down." Didn't you say that, Brandon? Uh, but anyway, um, we're really excited about that. <laughs> she's embarrassed now. But, <laughs> but anyway, we're really thankful to the Lord for um, Brandon and for y'all's life, uh, y- you and his life, just hearing what um, the Lord has, uh, the example you set is such a tremendous blessing. And it was good to hear you mention that many times, and so we're glad to be able to be a part of that today. Um, you know, as the Scripture says, sometimes different people you know cast the seed and others water and God causes the increase and so we're really excited about that anyway if you would just pray with me as we get started this morning father we are grateful that we are able to come here today we are so thankful that um, you have brought us here we are reminded that we were once separated from you outside of your promises with no hope. And you showered grace upon us. We believe that it is a sovereign grace. You initiate our salvation. You accomplish it. You bring it to fruition in our lives. So Lord, we don't want to ever minimize the wonder of Your Gospel. We pray that we would be a church that would be centered on it. That we would long to be a part of the the mission that You have called the church to. To be the pillar and the support of the truth. To uphold sound teaching in a world filled with all kinds of delusions. Lord, we ask that You would cause us to be a church that would preserve the unity of faith by teaching the Scripture, upholding it, and stopping anything that would hinder it. I pray, Lord, that You would give us courage as a church to hold fast to this teaching and never, ever, ever, ever allow anything to keep us from training and building up and helping others grow in the faith. We thank You for Brandon today and for um, just working in his heart and his life. I pray that You continue to do so. I pray that You bless his family. And I pray that they would be reminded of Your goodness and Your mercy towards us. In Christ's name. Amen. So we study the book of Titus and do our last sermon in it. We were reminded of this sermon is um, is centered, or this book, I mean, is centered around sound doctrine and good works. The Bible very clearly says that there is doctrine that can be understood, that the church is to understand and to grasp, and that, that there is a life that follows that. And that we as a church need to understand that, that we have a body of doctrine that is unpacked in Scripture and that we are to both understand it, grasp it, but live in light of it. That the church really, I've been thinking a lot about that recently uh, just because I've had to ask some of those questions personally again. But the church is primarily about being faithful to God's Word both in what we say about Him and how we live. And so if you are, sometimes we have this idea the church is supposed to look like, well, maybe it's supposed to be really big, or maybe it's supposed to be small, or maybe the church is supposed to be like really fun, 
Or maybe the church is for, like some people say, the unchurched. But the Bible clearly says the church is a people who have been called out by God to understand His truth. We are to grasp the truth of God, we are to uphold the truth of God, and we are to proclaim the truth of God to the world. We gather as the church to understand the truth of God's Word and to scatter and go and proclaim that throughout the nations. And so if you are kind of get to the very heart of what the church is, it is a place where we hold fast to the Gospel, we live in light of the Gospel, and we proclaim the Gospel to the world. The church is to glorify God by rightly understanding who He is and living in light of that in our worship, in our individual lives and families, and again, as we, we look out into the world. This church exists to do that. So if you want to think about what a church is, it really is, it's about us holding fast to the teaching that God has given us and living in light of that in a way that it blesses one of us here, it blesses God, and it blesses the world around us. I repeat that because it's something I have to repeat to myself over and over and over again. So the book of Titus begins by saying, and really the book of Titus is written because things are out of order. The church is out of order. And what we see is is that God is going to use the Apostle Paul to, to send Titus and say, get things in order and appoint men elders in every city as I directed you. And kind of what happens in this book is he first lines out and says, this is what the elders are to be like, the kind of men they're to be. They're to be godly men whose sound doctrine and godly life match up. They bring glory to God. Bless the church. They set a model for the world to say this is what Christianity is about. What is their function within the church? The elders, as you start in chapter 1 of Titus, they are to exhort, verse 9, 1 verse 9, exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. As you keep moving through this book, you say, why do the elders need to be put in place at this moment in this church? It's because there are false teachers. In verse, chapter 1 verses 10 through 16, there are false teachers whose lives and doctrine do not match up with what God has given us in His Word. And as you keep moving forward, you say, well, what is their function then? They're going, to contra- they're going to refute those who contradict. They are going to confront false teaching. But then they're also going to exhort the church in good teaching. And that's what you see in chapters 2, 1 through 10. He speaks to the whole church and says, this is a life that is fitting for sound teaching. This is a way that you are to live. And then it moves forward in verses 11 through 14 and says this is what grounds that. Jesus came to rescue His church to live godly lives. This is how we should live in light of that. And so he's going to address that now. Then he's going to move forward. So he's going to start and say, this is the kind of leaders. They've got to confront the bad leaders. They've got to exhort the church in sound doctrine. And then he says is, when the church's life and doctrine match up, and it's, it's healthy and sound, then their impact on the world is greatly enhanced. They are to live in the world, and they are to be an example of submitting to authority. They are to speak evil of no one. They are to be generous and kind to people. They can be considerate to all people. Why? Why is that true? Because God saved them is what you see in chapter 3. And He saved them by bringing the new life to them and making them into a people by the supernatural work of the Spirit who will live a godly life in this age. The world needs to see that. 
Sometimes the people, people think that the church needs to be something that it's like appealing to the world by doing all kinds of shenanigans to make the world love them. They present that, they preach that, they talk about that, they say, listen, we've got to do everything we can to make people, uh, to, to make people uh, want to be a part of the church. So we'll create children's ministries that really is all kinds of just, just fun, fun, fun. And so what happens is you kind of have this cotton candy version of Christianity that is very prevalent in our culture. And I think it's very dangerous in our culture. The church's ability to reach the world is tied to the way the Apostle Paul says is that their lives and their preaching mirror to the world what God is like and what God is doing in the world and what God is about and what He's on mission for. The church presents that to the world. The church is a picture book. All the time, my little boy, he wants to look at all these picture books. There's a few words there. And what I'm doing is I'm saying, see that picture? And that's what that's called. See this concept? That's what this is called. The church is like that. The church is a visual to the world. And both their words and their works say, God is real. God is holy. God is about saving people. God came because man is sinful. God came down to us. God rescued us. God went to the cross for us. And the church mirrors for the world what that's like by their service, by their sacrifice, by their love for one another, by their love for the world. That's what Titus is doing for us. He's presenting that. Now here's the thing. In that church, there are people who would get the church off of that mission with foolish things, with insignificant things, with things that had nothing to do with the Gospel, with their own personal opinions with their own speculations, with silly stuff. Trying to lead the church away from its mission. And there comes a point where Paul says, you tell them, stop! You stop stirring up stuff in this church. You get away from that. You turn away from that. You get back on the Gospel. You get back on reaching people. You get back on investing your life in things that matter. Stop! The reason he does that is because he knows that it will destroy the fellowship and it will destroy the purpose of the church and it will destroy the ministry of the church. So he addresses that and then he says, you find good leaders and when they come and visit you, you take care of them. You put them in the places of maybe authority, one set of group of leaders here, and then the other group of leaders, you go and take care of them and send them out so they'll be about the mission that God has called the church to. So I say that because this passage is about warning and if necessary, rejecting false leaders or teachers and blessing those who are good leaders. church needs that. And Paul knows that. And he will not allow error to stay within a church. So let's, let's move forward in verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies. But avoid foolish controversies. What he's going to do is he's going to lay out like four errors here, you might say, that someone is to avoid. You know, we, when we were kind of talking about stuff growing up, I, I would, you know, sometimes I'd hear someone say, you need to avoid this person or this place like the plague. 
don't know if you ever heard anybody say that. Or they'll say something like, avoid this situation. Or they'll say something like, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. They're using examples of saying, look, you can't play with this deal. You can't continue in this way. You can't hang out with this person. My parents would say things like that. And so he's saying, avoid foolish controversies. Avoid things that will get you away from the right stuff. You've got to avoid it like the plague. That's kind of the picture here. You know, and controversy has been a part of the church throughout its history. We studied church history this summer. There was a lot of controversy, things that, that, that needed to be addressed. It, it's kind of one of my professors that was a great uh, historian said, listen, when the church gets serious about what it teaches, there will be controversy. It's just the reality of it. When the church gets serious about the scriptural teaching, there will be some controversy. That's not the kind of controversy here. This controversy is over foolish things. It was over issues that were really had no value even being discussed. There, there was kind of... Um, it's interesting. I think when you think about this, there, there were things that certainly are very important that sometimes you and I would have to dialogue about and say, what is the Bible teaching here? It is very serious. If you reject this biblical teaching, you are going down a road that will destroy you that is anti-Christian. But there's other times where there are things that seriously do not matter and they come out of just someone who is... I honestly, I think sometimes it comes out of someone who is not living really seriously pursuing the things of God. That's why they have all this stuff to talk about and dialogue about that doesn't make any it doesn't amount to a hill of beans kind of thing. In 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 8, it speaks of uh, those who kind of have this they're they're kind of bringing all these things to the table and I'm not sure that it's the same issue as here, but he's going to say uh, you do not, he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 7, he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some. and worldly things or whatever. And he was saying, listen, that's, that has some value potentially. But that is not about godliness. It's like when you meet somebody, sometimes I, I think about, um, and, and I'm not, I, you know, they'll have like, there are books out there if you went on Amazon and say, what is God's diet? And they'll say, well, God made this diet for us. And they'll pull these obscure verses together and then they'll say, this is what you should eat. And I'll say, that may be of a little profit, but it's not about godliness. It's not helping you grow in godliness. It is not the most important thing. Don't major on something that is, again, somewhat obscure and be hard to defend anyway. And so he's kind of laying this out, and he says to Timothy another time, he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that that breeds quarrels. Why? Why does it breed quarrels? Because oftentimes there's no concrete answer. It's just somebody coming up, well, I think this and I think that. And I, you're like, what is that? It's just your opinion. Maybe you think it's you're wise or something by doing it, but it has no value for the sake of the gospel or even on your own heart. What is it valuing your heart? How is it valuing someone else? 
So I think it's important that we kind of think about that as you as you put that together, because there there really are. It's kind of this idea here, even that they were speculating about things. They're talking about, as you'll see, genealogies, and so they'll come up with some different stuff that they're they're addressing. Some people say, um, and really they were bringing up things again that were non-essential and worthless things. The genealogies deal. I've read some stuff where some people said there were some Jewish writings, extra biblical Jewish writings, where they had all this genealogy stuff, or the family tree of this person, and then they had like these uh, stories that were kind of like rewritten uh, from the Bible, and they were really fantastical kind of stories. And so some people might have been saying, "Well, we're a part of this family line, and this happened, and this is our genealogy," and, and just a lot of things that really were not biblical. One not solidly grounded in Old Testament biblical teaching, and also just generally useless. And so he's going to say these people need to be addressed. You have to not listen to those endless things. Again, this is also mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1. So he's going to write it to Timothy, and he's going to write it to Titus. So both of those people will have to address that. These things, these kind of things that they're bringing up, are, are, are like they cause ascension. The idea here is they cause strife. They just do. They bring up all kinds of wild things that end up people arguing about. They'll fight about it and quarrels about the law. The idea there again is they're going to start going into all these details and saying, well, this is this and this is that. And honestly, you ever met somebody? Well, I don't know. But like, let's say a tattoos, for instance. I've had people say to me, which again, you know, they'll say something like, uh, well, you know, in the Bible it says we shouldn't paint up our bodies, you know, or something like that. And there'll be some verse in Leviticus, and I'll be like, man, are you serious? And it was tied potentially to a time period where it was like devil worship was tied, or some like pursuing all these gods was tied to painting up your body. And I'm sitting over here with a guy that's got a cross on his arm, and they're like, well, I don't know about that. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, like the Bible doesn't really, it's a kind of a side issue. That's cool. Don't have a tattoo if you don't want to, but don't make somebody else live under your rules that only cause them struggle when reality is the Bible doesn't condemn something. Does that make sense? We have to be careful um, what we kind of push on other people that's not biblical, that's not clearly biblical. It has a way of like, here's what happens. You start taking those little things into consideration and say, oh, well this, you know, and you're trying to set up a system of rules for people that get them off of seeing the Gospel be advanced in the world. That's not what it's about. It's about the Gospel. It's about presenting the Gospel. It's about investing in people's lives. It's about helping them grow in godliness. What, what's going on in this church is, is there are people that are just causing all kinds of division. And it's unprofitable, Paul says, and worthless. These foolish con- uh, controversies are unprofitable and worthless. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 8. What is the opposite? He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, speaking of all the things above, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. 
What does He talk about above there? He is going to speak about the the saving work of the Father, Son, and Spirit in the life of a believer. And then He's going to say, listen, be kind to people and submit to authority and bless others and be someone that's a blessing so that your words and your speech bring blessing and people say, I want to follow Jesus. I love Jesus more after being with those people. I love Him more and more and more and they're overwhelmed. I met with this older person. They love Christ. They're centered in Him. The Gospel just flows from their lips. That's what you're looking for. That's what we're about. That's what He's wanting them to treasure. And if anything comes up that is something that gets us off of that, it needs to stop. That's what He's saying. Because it is dangerous. And it could really lead this church into ruin. We must ask as a Christian, are the things that I talk about with others everywhere building up God, the body, and the advancement of the Gospel? We need to ask, are we always stirring up one another, not in a negative way, but to love and good deeds? Is our conversation stirring them up not to be angry, not to want to not speak to you again, but to love and good deeds? We must be careful that all we do has this goal. We need things to be profitable and worth something when we are speaking to one another. One of my friends, that he says, and he's, he likes to talk, and he, uh, like myself, I like to talk, yeah. but he likes to talk and he loves to get in discussions over things <laughs> that, that are certainly less than important probably, biblical things, but probably not that important. And what he's had to do is like he... He realizes that sometimes something that comes into his mind is not that valuable for the purpose of godliness or for the building up of a young convert, and he has to cut his tongue off. Figuratively, I guess. But he has to, like, stop. He has to not just go into all these things that have no value. They're not foundational teachings of the church. Instead of chasing rabbits, we as a church have to say, and really, because what happens is if you have this tendency to run off into things that are not that important or not valuable, honestly, what happens is people begin to think that's what Christianity is. And you might start thinking that. And when you start thinking that, then everybody's to think that. Anyway, so those are things we have to be very careful of. And so Paul kind of lays out these four areas and addresses them and he warns the church of them. As for a person who stirs up division, uh, they need to be, he says, after after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. A couple of years ago, Ann and I were in Ecuador and we were with this amazing pastor. Actually, our church still supports him financially, right? We support him monthly, and his, his name's Joselito. And Joselito is a, a man that um, uh, loves the Lord, solid biblical scholar, writes commentaries in the Spanish language. He is a blessing. I mean, he is a blessing to the church in Ecuador. He is a blessing to all Hispanic churches. 
man, he is in a place where there is false teaching is running rampant. And really, there's things that are going on with the really like a, what's happened is a lot of the books that have shown up there are health and wealth gospel books. And so these pastors who were once under sound teaching are now reading these health and wealth kind of gospel books. And ultimately, what's happened is this, these churches are in, certainly in trouble because there's not sound teaching. And he's trying to lead people into that. But seriously, it is difficult sometimes to do that in the face of, of the struggles that, that, that he has. And so we, you need to pray for him. Because there are divisions that are coming and there are false teachers out there everywhere. And the shelves are full in Ecuador of teaching that is not sound and solid. So you want to look back real quick in Titus chapter 1, verse 10. I just want you to remember, really, in chapter 3, he's picking up this same kind of theme. These men, he says, verse 10, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. Why? Because they're upsetting families. They're really, verse 14, devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. These side issues for them, these little like kind of things that you're like, oh, good night, why are they talking about that? These little small things that are like, ugh, they have become things that are big things. What used to be something that really didn't matter, maybe to the congregation now, become like mountains in their eyes. And I think that's kind of the dangerous thing. If you allow things to continue onward, what will happen is things that are not biblical will become huge things in the life of a body. Because these men are talking. They're not quietly holding some weird thoughts. They are publicly trying to bring that before the congregation. And so he says this needs to stop. After Look what it says. After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. These people must be warned. Paul says earlier that they must be warned so that they might be sound in the faith, that they might have a healthy faith, that they might hold fast to the Gospel of Christ. But it is very important here, I think, that we need to say, like, what does that mean as far as like not getting involved in these kind of silly things and holding on to the Gospel? Paul has unpacked the Gospel on multiple occasions in this book. In chapter 2, he said, what is the Gospel? That grace came down. God came down. Christ came down to us. And Jesus came to us to rescue us from this present age and to transfer us into His kingdom. And that Jesus will return again. And He's come to again to save us from our wickedness and to bring us into His kingdom. In chapter 3, he unpacks the Gospel again, and he says we were wretched, evil, ungodly, immoral haters. But God rescued us. He saved us. How did He save us? By the washing of regeneration. The Spirit of God, after Christ ascended into heaven, the Spirit of God was sent, and He was sent down to bring life to people, and He transforms us within and continues with us. And so he's unpacked this gospel message and he says if someone is about things that are not centered in the person and work of Christ, don't embrace it. Don't listen to it. Ultimately, he'll say it must be stopped. Because if you don't silence them, it will spread like cancer. I mean, all of us know the the difficulty of, of cancer in a body as it begins to try to take over. It, it, it permeates everything. And I, 
And, and we have to say, listen, we have to be people that are not allowed that to happen within our church. Verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. To be warped, is, it could be translated perverted. When we say something is warped, we say it, it can't function in its original way that it was intended for. It's warped. It's perverted. It has the idea of being altered or distorted or corrupted. By this person's willful refusal of the true sound teaching of these leaders and, and, and the admonition to turn away from those things, what happens is they condemn themselves. Now, I just want to stop and just say real quick, this is the issue of rejecting this person I think is tied to church discipline. There comes a point where really the Scripture presents, I think, three different times that someone must be disciplined. One is that they are publicly or you know, in some way it comes to the surface that they are living an immoral life. Two, they are also they could be like causing dissension in the body. That means that they are they are you know, whether it's gossiping or whatever they are causing trouble within the body that upsets the fellowship that's that should be there. And three, we could say if you were trying to just understand it, is that they are um, teaching false things. I would say these people almost have all three of those things prevalent. Because he talks about some of their immoral ways. He talks about their false teaching. And he says they are causing division. What are you to do? What does the Bible say to do with someone who is doing this? The Bible says you are to go to one of those people. This is kind of a little different. These are leaders who are publicly sinning. And so they're going to have to be publicly addressed. If it was a private thing where I heard somebody's causing division and, and it's not addressed, that the person that hears about it goes to them privately. They don't listen. You go to them with a friend or brother or sister in Christ. If they don't listen, you take it to the church. And what is the church to do? They are to cut those people out of the membership of the church. That is not what you want. We would never, ever want that. But biblically, that is what we are to do because you're to preserve the church and you're to preserve the church's witness. And when God has called us to that, Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that, you, um, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. They are cut off from the people of God. This is something that I think is very important that we understand. That is the most loving thing to do. 1 Corinthians 5 says this, when you assembled, Paul's speaking of someone who has been in an immoral relationship within the church. It seems like he's been in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And it's causing, the, the church is saying, oh, we love him, we love him, we love him. We love him in a sense they're saying like love. It's almost like saying to your child, I love you, so I'm going to allow you to be foolish and go play out in the street. Genuine love in the Scripture is, I want what's best for you. And so what Paul said to them, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my Spirit is present with the, the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to live, deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What he's saying is, 
You are to deliver Him or move Him out of your people and send Him out there with those who are in this present age and this world system and among Satan and his demons in a sense so that He might be saved, hopefully. So that He will see the error of His ways. The church must address them. So I just think it's important that we see that because that's the situation going on here. They are afraid that these issues that are not even that important, that have very little value, that are not even scriptural, are making, becoming these mountains in the eyes of people. And they begin to think that if, if uh, maybe the Christians there, young Christians would think, well, this is what it means to follow God, and eventually that church loses the Gospel. And he says, you've got to address this. If you love God's people, if you love God, and if you love those people who are wayward, address it. At the same time, he says, what are we to do with those who are doing the right things? Leading in a godly way. Look at verse 12. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. There's something here where it seems like he's bringing these leaders in. Tychicus was this one, Artemis, we don't know much about him, but the other guy, he says that he, we know that he was one that would bring letters to, um, to, to people for the Apostle Paul. And one of the things you learn about him in, in this kind of picture is he would be a faithful servant of the Lord. He would be one potentially that he would even maybe one of them would stay there and they would stay there with the body when Titus left to help continue to preserve it and to continue to build it up. And, and I think it's just important that we say um, he, there's another element here that I think that Paul is known for someone who helps grow up young men in the faith. We see that with Titus, we see that with Timothy, and a host of others. He is helping establish them in the faith. And not only that, we see here, I think, his care for the body. And so he's going to send Titus there for a season and then send someone else to back him up to help strengthen the body. I think that's a very beautiful picture of what Paul's ministry was like. He did a lot of ministry with people that God helped him or used him to establish in the faith. And so they're going to grow them up and help them be faithful in the Lord. And I think his heart for local churches is seen here. He wants to see the church established and growing. Now the next thing I think you would see is... is um, and, and, I, well, and I'll say one more thing about that. I was thinking about someone, um, something I did some time ago where I went to Princeton University and when I went there, uh, I went to find this piece that I'd heard somebody talk about. And it was basically, uh, it was almost like a little staff kind of that was passed on by Princeton leaders. And a guy named Archibald Alexander passed this staff thing on to Charles Hodge, which if you read a lot of theology, you've heard of him. And he passed it on and he said, retain the standard of sound words. Retain the standard of sound words. And he passed it to Charles Hodge. But today, nobody's carrying that baton at, at Princeton. It's in a case as a memorial of a day that has passed scares me. It's scary. Because the church is the pillar and support of the truth. And one of the things I see in the Apostle Paul's life, and he says it to Timothy, in listen, in the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witness, witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to do likewise. He tells Timothy that over and over that runs through my head. And I think we as a church have to say, we are about establishing people in the truth. 
One of the things that y'all have allowed me to do is have some work with some young men, not only the men in our church, but other men. And, and they'll come into town and we, we invest in them. Ryan Hancock's one and he stayed for a while. Curtis Pierce is someone who just kind of recently came. And, and I'm investing in him and pouring into him. But there's a lot of young men that we have a responsibility to invest in and pour in to help them grow in the faith. And I see Apostle Paul, again, sending people out and putting them in churches and helping them grow because he was about helping establish the churches. And I want to say to you, we need to do that more. and encourage you to do the same. And you'll see in verse 13, we're almost done, but do your best to, 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 to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Another thing I think that's just important here is that these, he's saying be hospitable to these leaders. Help them. One of the things we as a church have done and I've seen happen on, on multiple occasions, but we've given to church planters. People who didn't have the resources to do the ministry they believe God had called them to do. Our church is sending money there and helping establish them, and helping them have the resources to do the ministry that God has called to them. We as a church are to be open-handed, and we're to say, listen, let's build the, the, the Gospel, let's build the churches in different areas, and we'll do that as we send out money. And not just spend everything on ourselves, but we say, how can we be more generous for the advancement of the Kingdom of God? As we see struggling pastors and church planters and missionaries, we need to be generously helping them along the way. And I want to thank you for that. In verse 14, he says, "...and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful." One of the things that's very powerful, I think, is that we have to say all of the time we want to live in such a way where how can I bless others? They would see the example of Titus and say, look at Titus investing in these people and look at, look at what we're doing. We're helping these, these missionaries. But we are to always be ready to do good works and to help with cases of urgent need. And I think about that in this body. There's been times where houses have burned down and y'all have kind of risen to the occasion. We, we pulled together the resources and helped somebody get their, kind of their feet grounded again. I've seen you do stuff like that in, in just in many different ways. Someone maybe loses income and I talked to a few men. They pull the money together. We've taken up love offerings for missionaries who pass through very generous ones. And I, I think all of those things are saying like we need to be ready for fruitfulness to help others as we seek to be obedient to God's Word. That should be on our hearts and minds all the time. But that's not just for those big occasions, but also in your daily life. Live in such a way where you're saying, God, help me today see where I might minister and serve others. We need to understand as Christians that knowing the Word and doing the Word always go together. If you were to define a Christian today, you would say it's one who knows and does the Word. It, it, what I mean by that, it doesn't mean like we don't we, we believe the gospel. What knowing is saying, I know God. I know Christ came. I know He died. I know He rose again to save me from my sins. And I want to live in light of that. Christianity can be defined in that way. And so he says, All who are with me send greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul concludes with a greeting where he says, listen, there's a host of people doing that. And sometimes I think we're just this one little church in our minds, and we say all around us and all over the world, there are people who are walking and holding fast to the faith. Not only we see in Hebrews 11 the great cloud of witnesses in heaven, but those on earth who are saying, move forward, press on, love the truth, 
Walk in obedience to it. Continue to do that. Make the Gospel the center. Don't let yourself get off on foolish things. Keep holding fast to the truth and seek to make good of that in your time so that God would be honored, the churches would be established, and that the world would see the Gospel as a picture in their eyes. That they would gather with us or meet us on the street and they say, I don't know if I know their Lord, but what I see in them is the picture of what I've heard about Him. That's one of the powerful, most powerful witnesses we have. So I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father, I ask You to move mightily in our body so that we would be known as a church who's faithful to You a church centered on the most important things, centered on the Gospel, centered on seeing people's lives changed, centered on bringing maximum glory to You. We ask, Lord, that You would help us see how we might engage in in good works and meet pressing needs and bless others around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.